This is Rico Renzi, colorist of Spider-Gwen and Squirrel Girl, and you are listening to Ultimate Spin. My name is Gwen Stacy. I went to a science demonstration, got bitten by a radioactive spider, and now have these amazing powers. To the residents of New York, I'm the dangerous vigilante called Spider-Woman. But you know me as Spider-Gwen. Now let's find out what I've been up to. Are you ready? Because it's time for the ultimate spin. Welcome to the Spider-Man fan podcast that follows the ongoing adventures of Miles Morales and Spider-Gwen. My name is Brian, and coming up in this episode, we'll take a closer look at the wide world of crazy that's waiting in Spider-Gwen number 31. Plus, Spider-Gwen is ending. What? My name is Jack, and as always, you've got a standing invitation to visit us at ultimatespinpodcast.com. You can learn more about us, find show notes, and follow along with everything we'll be talking about in this episode. Plus, you can download or stream the shows for pretty much every issue of Miles and Gwen to date. And if you're interested in going behind the scenes, we've got exclusive interviews with the creators, all the writers and artists who bring your favorite Spider-Heroes to life. And clearly you love these characters as much as we do. Otherwise, what's going on that you ended up listening to this? So don't be shy. We'd love to hear from you. Drop us a line at feedback at ultimatespinpodcast.com and tell us what you think of the stories, the art, the characters, whatever's on your mind. We're doing this show to connect with our fellow fans, and it's a lot more fun to talk with you than just at you. So we'll kick off with some big news. I, I think we, we saw it coming, but we finally had it confirmed uh, since our last episode. And the July solicits uh, for Marvel came out and suggested that Spider-Gwen was coming to an end with issue number 34. And then sure enough, Jason Latour jumped on Twitter and confirmed it. We've been talking about this for a while, haven't we? We kind of hinted at it in our own kind of theories. And when we were talking to Robbie Rodriguez not too long ago, he had kind of said some things that were leaning towards this way as well. And long, long ago, they had said that this kind of Gwenna mark and now what it's become in, in, in the current story we're in was going to be their crowning moment of what they wanted to tell about Gwen. And, and Jason had done some tweets of, this story tells everything I want to say about Gwen Stacy or something along those lines. And that kind of sounds like a final statement, a final thesis on a character. The important thing to note is that this creative team gets to end the series on their terms. Jason made sure to confirm that the series is not being canceled. This is the ending they had in mind and good for them that they're able to go out on their terms. Absolutely. I think it's a huge, huge blow to a creative team when they build up a long kind of like I said, there's a long form arc for a character or a long story that you want to tell about these group of characters. And then suddenly, oh, the sales aren't what they are. Sorry. Next issue is your last one. And you just have to tie it together really quickly, frantically in the last minute. And so many fantastic stories and things that really had great potential have been cut off early because of lack of sales or lack of interest from the public or various factors. So I'm really, really glad that Robbie, Rico, Jason and the guys can have the opportunity to go out on their own terms and say what they want to say and tell the stories that they have they have told and will tell in the next couple of issues as well. Yes, and Robbie made it a point to bring up the last time we chatted with him that this book has had nothing but complete support from the editorial team at Marvel and the Spider Office has been huge champions for it. We've had a lot of fun covering it. So of course the question is, well, what does that mean for us if there's no Spider-Gwen series to follow? Yeah, we're we'll get to that, but not now. Right now, I think we need to get to this crazy issue of Spider-Gwen 
Number 31. There's a lot to talk about. Good grief. A lot happens. And a few questions as well. I, I guess I have to wish you good luck on this one, Brian, because you're going to attempt <laughs> a, a quick recap. A quick recap. I w- <laughs> yes. We will uh, <laughs> try to cover the, the main points and then, and then get into discussion. Hopefully I do this uh, justice. And Jack, please listen carefully because there's a significant likelihood that I might mess some of this up. So <laughs> I'll, I'll be your fact checker. Please back me up uh, once we get through this. All right. Here we go. Spider-Gwen number 31. Captain America checks in on a comatose George before confronting Murdoch, only to learn that he's not behind Gwen's disappearance. Meanwhile, on Earth-617, Gwen and her counterpart reach out to Tony Stark for help to jump between dimensions. Sure enough, our Gwen needs to leap from the George Washington Bridge in order to break through. We learn that the older Venom Gwen that attacked the Watchers on Earth-8 in the last issue isn't Earth-8 Gwen after all. She's a future version of 617 Gwen, now her world's greatest detective and part of a council of interdimensional Gwens working to ensure the future of their timelines remains unwritten and open to infinite possibilities. She says our stories are important when we share them. Back on Earth-65, Spider-Woman meets with J. Jonah Jameson to do just that and reveals her secret identity. Confused? I certainly am. Let's get into it. <laughs> I think I think you pretty much got everything, all the important parts. At oh least, my it? goodness! Whew, yeah! Wow! So not only are we interdimensional, we knew that was a thing. Like that that became quite a big part when we hit the Spider Women crossover, and there was lots of stuff going on, and it kind of became a casual thing of yeah, I've got this wrist communicator that just transports me to different dimensions. No big deal. Now we have time travel as well. We have interdimensional travel and time travel happening at the same time and different time versions of the same character, in this case Gwen 617, being in the same timeline at the same time, but from different times through interdimensional travel. Oh my god. I I must say kudos to Jason Latour for executing a pull the rug out from under you maneuver two issues in a row, like last issue. We thought, we assumed it was 616 Gwen, and sure enough, it's not 617. And now Venom Gwen from the future is that same six, like, blah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, we complimented Jason on his physics, and we actually had a little back and forth on Twitter about that between me and Jason before when he was talking about Schrodinger's cat. I think he's now gone above and beyond my <laughs> understanding of time travel and interdimensional travel. We're in the realm of comics physics at this point and yeah jason has blown my mind once again with that reveal i was not expecting older gwenum however we want to describe her to be a future version of a gwen we'd already seen i'd assumed it was some other gwen and the council of gwens kind of makes sense the council of spider women would totally make sense because we've seen now three we thought different versions of gwen and that would make sense now it's two different versions, plus Earth 8 Gwen we've kind of glimpsed here and there through like the billboard and stuff like that. But whew, there's even more Gwens that are going to show up in the next three issues. Did you ever read Jonathan Hickman's Fantastic Four? I did, yeah. All right, so it just brought to mind, of course, the Council of Reeds. Council of Reed Richards, yeah, <laughs> so absolutely. That was mind-bending as it was. Which then influenced Rick and Morty. For <laughs> listeners who watch Rick and Morty, you then have the Council of Ricks <laughs> and uh, the City of Ricks, where they're all just running different interdimensional versions of themselves. And it's almost becoming Rick and Morty at this point, where you've got 
the Venom symbiote being this thing that seems to be tied to Gwen in certain ways, and we don't know how this future version of 617 has her version of the Venom symbiote, or she might have got it from a different dimension. It, it it's in the in the bio at the end of the book. It's implied that she doesn't have powers, but she gets the powers from the symbiote. So in the same way that Eddie Brock doesn't have spider powers, he uses the Venom symbiote as a as a thing. Whereas Peter Parker is already super powered, but also has the Venom symbiote when he becomes Venom, or when he becomes Black Suit Spider Man. I suppose. Oof. Yeah, we're all over the place. Let's let's kind of come back round and touch on that opening scene because I really really love this version of Captain America. I think Samantha is fantastic and her getting that kind of conflict with with Matt and no punches are thrown. It's just a a snidey kind of <laughs> sarcastic joking back and forth between each other and sort of com- almost complimenting each other through gritted teeth and stuff like that. It's brilliant character moment between the two of them. Two characters I've really learned to love from this series. And correct me if I'm wrong, is this the first time we've seen Cap in the present day unmasked? Certainly in a while. Yeah, I hadn't really thought about it. You might be right. Yeah, it was a surprising and and welcome image too, but just to see her really battered and banged up, you know, arm in a sling and the whole thing, like the Gwenham creature really did a number on, on both of them. You really get a sense of this is coming to a conclusion. This is culminating in something. They, these characters have been through absolute hell to get here that's what i loved about sort of seeing her that way especially for this specific chapter in the story it's bookended really nicely because seeing her unmasked and that's you know literally and figuratively right you're getting to their true selves and you have samantha and matt in the opening scene and then the final scene of course is gwen with her mask down i mean that's i think it's it's all kind of tying together really really well Absolutely. Yeah, you get the a lot of books feel like one arc is one story and then they move on to the next thing. We were talking about this whole power and responsibility, the twist that they've given that term, the power and the classic Spider-Man term, the power and responsibility to Gwen. And it's all coming back around and she is taking responsibility, revealing herself. And you also, like you said, Brian, have Samantha opening with looking vulnerable, looking human. Whereas Captain America is always this shining beacon of hope. And Samantha herself uses the term, our belief is Gwen's beacon. Like there's this kind of moment where she's talking to George and talking about her amazing adventures. And she seems, there's literally comics about her. That's how important she is as a character and how legendary she is. And she's just sat there bruised, battered next to Gwen's dad. And then you have Gwen at the end, after all she's been through, finally reveal herself to someone outside of her close family. Well, what does that mean going forward? We'll we'll talk about that in a moment, I'm sure, when we get to the final, final couple of pages. And speaking of characters that are beaten up and bruised, I love, once again, just that curveball moment of, you know, the previous issue ends with a surprise attack on the Watchers from a future version of Gwen. And when we rejoin them, they're having a bowl of cereal and... One of them has an ice pack on his head. (laughs) That kind of gives you a sense of how quickly and how easily she dealt with them. This is where I got a little tangled up in trying to figure out what exactly was happening. Because I don't know if I quite connected with why Max and Charlotte were attacking the Watchers in the last issue. Is it just a coincidence? That was kind of my impression. Or or did 
this version of Gwen kind of trick them into doing it as kind of a bit of a distraction or something? I wasn't sure. I went back to look at it again and I, I still wasn't clear. Like they show up to attack and then the watchers assume they're the ones that yanked Gwen out of the timeline and were creating all the shenanigans and he froze them and then they were interrupted by future Gwen attacking. But I'm still not clear on why they were interfering in the first place. So that's that's just a question. Put I, I can put a pin on it. Like maybe it'll get answered later. But um, it did throw me a little bit when that happened, and then all of a sudden they're hanging out in the kitchen, eating cereal, eating Groot Loops, eating Groot Loops. Yeah, <laughs> is is that a bit weird that they're just eating like sentient creatures, different in universe, loop loop form. Different universe. But there's a little baby Groot on there. Like it, <laughs> you can't eat that. It's too adorable. C- coming from the vegetarian. Yeah, well... <laughs> <laughs> like, you can't eat animals. Oh, yeah. People do in real life. That's a thing. <laughs> um, we then move on to Avengers Mansion, which is just like... Just in case you'd forgotten that Earth 617 is basically the 60s. <laughs> We have mustachioed Tony Stark. Jason had posted, um, you can imagine him as Robert Downey Jr. if you'd like to, but for him, he was Burt Reynolds. <laughs> He's absolutely Burt Reynolds. It just made me think of uh, Norm MacDonald's Burt Reynolds from Celebrity Jeopardy. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, and funnily enough, you mentioned that the previous scene was kind of where the confusion set in for you. This is where it's set in for me. Okay. Because... Pim and Stark don't really have much of a function here. He's like, yeah, I don't really believe you. Prove yourself to me. And then Gwen617 is also a genius herself. So through Samantha and Gwen617, they kind of work out the thin spot by themselves. So Pim and Stark basically have no function here. It's a bit... Well, he I was does... A bit confused. He does give Sorry. her a device, like a bracelet or something at the end. That's never brought up again? Well, she. I mean, I don't see her wearing it. So it's a little confusing when she Is jumps. it under the Gwenham suit? Yeah. It could be, like, but it's, you know, you're not... I was Again, that was another one of those things. Like, I wasn't clear on what it was, but what I could... What I took out of the scene is like, that was somehow key to coordinating the jump or controlling it wherever they were going to go setting a destination possibly yeah it's never really addressed so it felt a bit weird and it felt like something they could have had explained some other way like it this felt like a roundabout way of by the way you need to jump off the bridge the bridge that ties all of the all of the gwens together is this kind of moment in space-time that that brings various Gwen Stacy's from different dimensions together. I did like how it tied back into Captain America's adventures, which go all the way back to issue two when she was introduced and how she traveled through time. It was related to Nazi technology from Baron Zemo, I think, had (laughs) created the dimensional jump and then she ended up having like 75 years worth of adventures yeah that panel is fantastic it's it great through. right it's, it's such a great throwback especially the shot of her on the horse i think might be my favorite Abs- yeah the the horse shot is fantastic and, and the the changing of the shield shape and stuff like that which is obviously what happened to 
our quote unquote version of Captain America. Right. Um, six six one six Steve Rogers going through the kind of classic wing wing shaped shield, then going to the circular shield and yeah, knowing that she's kind of gone through almost a similar process, but without being frozen, actually having seventy five years worth of adventures is where's that book? Give me that. <laughs> I want to go and read that right now. So we then head off to the George Washington Bridge, which is, I didn't quite make the connection straight away, and it's never really sort of occurred to me that that is that that, that, that would be a significant part in Gwen's kind of timeline and, and that, that divergent point where, so I guess some of the Gwens die, some of them don't, and it seems like they're both kind of aware of the significance of it, which is this weird thing because they've both been... Yeah, it, it's, an, it's a really, really cool motif to have that be... Because that is, outside of Spider-Gwen, that is Gwen Stacy's most famous moment is the death of Gwen Stacy, which is pretty unfair to the character that she's famous for dying. But um, it's, it's, a, it's a cool thing to have that it's such a significant part of her story in terms of the one we used to, the 616 universe, and have that be this kind of anchor in space-time to tie so many different Gwens together and have that be this kind of ripple in the the thin spot in the in the interdimensional travel. Yeah, I mean, I, I saw... I definitely picked up on that as well. And this this is actually an idea that they've, they've addressed in the book too. It's actually all the way back... In issue three, I don't know if you remember, there was a scene where Gwen ended up in cuffs. Captain America had cuffed her and then she couldn't get out of them. So she used her dimensional transporter to go see Jessica Drew in 616, who was pregnant at the time. Do you remember they were on the bridge and eating sandwiches and she zapped the cuffs off her? But it was at the bridge. And so they they did have that conversation. You know, she was saying kind of what you were just getting at. Like, this is the legacy of Gwen Stacy. Like, she died. She was thrown off a bridge. And what... I think Latour was trying to convey through Jessica at the time was like, no, you can be so much more than that. It's up to you. You're not trapped by whatever you think your legacy is supposed to be. It's up to you to kind of go define it for yourself. And to me, I thought like, so Gwen here, Gwenham here says, well, this is almost, you know, this is too damn on the nose to be wrong. That's where it clicked for me. And then helped me make a little bit more sense of what older Gwen's whole mission is with this ridiculous uh, timeline scheme, but you know you want to keep it, keep things open. Like you're not trapped into what you think things are supposed to be. I really wanted to touch on a piece of dialogue, the kind of voiceover we have from Gwen going through that moment where the two Gwens. I'm going to say Gwen a lot in this. All right, which Gwen? So you're talking about six seventeen Gwen. Yeah, Gwen and the other Gwen, and, and Gwen <laughs> is talking to Gwen about Gwen, and old Gwen is not there, it's the two younger Gwens. <laughs> anyway, um, and, and she says, I didn't know I was meant to die on that bridge, that the story of nearly every Gwen Stacy has ended there, but not hers and not mine. And that makes both 65 and 617 such significant characters in that if you think about this kind of I'm going to spin off into some weird physics stuff. Infinite realities, and there are an infinite amount of Gwen Stacys that fall off that bridge and die. And the vast majority of them, there's some high percentage, let's say like 98% of every Gwen Stacy, 
in some form or fashion, whether it's through Peter Parker or some other hero or her own doing, she trips and falls, whatever, for some reason, they fall off that bridge and die. Or they die on that bridge somehow. But not 617 and not 65. I think that's a really cool idea that ties into, like you just said, Brian, with the older Gwen 617 saying, your future is not written. You... We are special. We are interesting. Something else. We didn't die. It hasn't ended here for me. It hasn't ended here for you. That makes us important, Gwen Stacy's. And I assume that is going to be one of the things that ties together the Council of Spider-Women as well. In that they all know about this thing that don't go near the George Washington Bridge, basically. <laughs> or, or however it is, they know that they should have died in some form or another, but for whatever reason, they haven't. And I assume, this is me now speculating, maybe like this future version of 617 worked it out first or is one of the like founding members and then went searching through dimensions, saving various Gwens or something like that, or helping them achieve their free will and, and escape their fate of dying on that bridge. Mm-hmm. It certainly seems like that would tie into her motivations and that's such a cool idea. I, I really, really like that as a kind of interesting idea to tap to tap into in terms of because we have so much interdimensional travel and time travel in comic books that is just like we interdimensional travel. I mentioned how casual it is in Spider Women that they just <laughs> kind of bump into each let's go and have brunch in a different dimension and they literally do that. Like, oh yeah. They just have wristbands that can just send them anywhere in the universe. That's fine. Whereas this makes it more significant. This makes it an important part of the story, an important part of the character development for two different kinds of Gwens. And that's such a cool thing to bring them together and and tie this together in this ongoing arc for this character. I really appreciated her speech, I guess, her her speech to the Watchers about that whole idea of exploring infinite possibilities and try or her phrase like why don't you try something new and i think that was an excellent commentary i guess in on comics a lot of in a lot of ways even this series and other spider characters and almost chastising the watchers like you you know how things are supposed to be you expect them to be a certain way and you want them to go that way and when they don't you freak out and you're disappointed and you want to make sure it stays the way it's supposed to be and her whole mission is no you can you can and should go in new directions and it's balanced well you know she says i don't judge you for caring and for wanting it to stay in the way you believe it should be but maybe you should not force your expectations on something and just appreciate the journey and see where things go it's an interesting character motivation and that's in theory a good idea <laughs> yeah it's 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 weird it's like the character actually like breaking out of her comic and into <laughs> you know just commenting on the state mm. of comics in general yeah it's a meta commentary about i think how a lot of people are getting frustrated with how the creators and editors of of many superhero books and comics in general are just recycling the same ideas redoing oh, it's in a movie, so let's do it in the comics again, even though the movie is referencing the thing from before and blah, 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 and we're just going to retread the same characters over and over and over and over again. And it's also a meta-commentary on the fans and not being happy with, I want change, but not too much change. No, that's too much change. Less change, more change. 
Right. We need a new character. No, I don't want a different Captain America. Sam Wilson's not Captain America. Bucky was Captain America. He was, no, I don't like Bucky Captain America either. I like Steve Rogers. No, I like Sam. I like Samantha Wilson. What? No, where? Ah. And it's this constant kind of battle between you have this legacy of decades with these characters with so many characters have been around for so long, especially with the two big companies, DC and Marvel, obviously. And you've got this kind of responsibility. I feel like there's a lot of pressure on creators to be like, Let's just play it safe. And when they don't, take, for example, what Nick Spencer has recently done with Steve Rogers and made him a Hydra agent and this whole thing. Hugely controversial. People were burning books and boycotting Marvel and going crazy. And then it all kind of settled down and it's now back to back to normal because that's how comics work. And it's a it's a really interesting commentary to say things can change. We're allowed to do whatever we want. You don't have to stick to the same thing. And that's a in-universe commentary about Gwen's. That's an out-of-universe commentary about the creators and the editors and the executives in these companies and about the fans moaning about, oh, they've changed too much. They've not changed enough. It's the same story. I don't want new stories. It's yeah. such a great commentary. Yeah, it's fantastic. I appreciate seeing it addressed coherently <laughs> and intelligently and thoughtfully uh, in a series like this. And this book has, if any, I mean, it's been a lot of things uh, over the last few years, but it has been consistently thoughtful. So I had a question for you as part of the dialogue. One of the watchers refers to Ben Parker, the anomaly. I wasn't sure about that either. I didn't quite get that. And again, it's like, maybe we'll get a little bit Uncle more. Uncle Ben's path was always possible. You just ignored it because it didn't fit into the narrative you wanted. Was it that he was pushing her to go after Murdoch? As, as opposed or, to being kindly Uncle Ben, or, who's like... Or that Ben is supposed to die. That Ben is also tied into the fate of Ben is always killed in the same way that Gwen always falls off to the George Washington Bridge. So this Gwen inter- intervened in that way, or a somebody intervened interdimensionally and helped him, or or something like that. It was I'm scrunching up my face and scratching my chin. Hmm. I don't know. That's another question I had. And I got one more question for you. So I read this bio, uh, which was, these are always fun, but I think this one was particularly essential for this issue. Uh, And it says that Earth 617 Gwen, her first appearance was in Edge of Spider-Verse number two. Have you gone back and checked? I did. And I... I knew you would. Well, I mean, I, (laughs) I, I couldn't figure it out. That was my other question. It's a very good question. It's like you said, the bio is very interesting and very important, basically, because usually we get, oh, it's the background of this version of the rhino, and turns out he's slightly different from the rhino we usually know. Who would have guessed? Cool. And it's full of like little funny things like, rhino's favorite cereal is Groot Loops or whatever. It's <laughs> just funny little quirks, and turns out Miles can do this thing or whatever. This is real serious backstory in a different dimension and also tying into the Council of Gwens as well and mentions the formation of the Council of Gwens and this whole thing and recaps like half of the issue as well. It's it's a real kind of intense bio. And, and I appreciate the fact that he references 
it's kind of a self-referential thing um, right towards the end. It's sort of the penultimate paragraph. And he says, um, the watchers confront the kids and a now middle-aged Gwen 617 emerges from an interdimensional portal and defeats a pair of very confused watchers. I mean, isn't everybody confused? Oh, enough time travel, Latour. <laughs> and yeah, I, th- <laughs> I think everyone, I'm glad it wasn't just me. What'd you make of this final scene? Um, I don't know how I feel about it. I don't see how this is going to solve any problems. I'm not entirely sure of her motivation behind... Like, you don't trust anyone. I don't trust anyone. So, go to J. Jonah Jameson? Okay. It's a bit, a bit of an odd one. And we always moan at Miles for running around without his mask on. And she does this quite a lot in this issue as well. But... Yeah, I'm intrigued to see what the the consequences are, what the ramifications are for, for Gwen going forward. What did you think? I thought this was one of those moments, and it happens from time to time, where knowing about the solicits worked against the drama of this moment. We knew it was coming, having seen future solicits and covers that you know she would go public with her identity. So I guess it was like, oh, well, I guess this is where that happens. So that... I kind of did that to myself, I guess, but yeah. it kind of it kind of robbed it for me of the the power of the moment. It looks great, you know, is really deep, intense colors. It's very noir lighting with JJ just kind of sat there, furrowing his brow, staring into the middle distance as Gwen is talking off panel, and then the the big kind of ominous moment of Gwenum looming against the door and the final reveal with the panel kind of erupting out of her hood, coming back and revealing her face. It's a really, really well-constructed couple of pages. It's a great color choice from Rico, too, because you have the sun setting on the city, and the sun is literally setting on this book. Mm, absolutely, yeah. It's like, oh, man, how much how much lower can we go? Every issue is like, oh, just this poor kid. She's still got Matt to worry about. She's still got her dad. Her dad, to, yeah, poor George is still comatose. Oh, God. For now, the main question is, if you had to sum up your experience with this book in three words? I hinted at it earlier, and uh, I don't know if it's necessarily a commentary on the book or just how I'm feeling right now. My brain hurts. <laughs> my, <laughs> that's my that's fair. How about yours, Brian? I have similar lines. Uh, I basically read it again. Like I read this and was like, uh, hmm. Which is not a bad thing. Um, I had to go go at it closer, and definitely this this conversation with you helped <laughs> help me make sense of it. I mean, it was. <laughs> I felt like this was a bit of a therapy session. Oh uh, god! Did this make sense to you? No, it didn't. Okay, good. I'm I'm feeling a little bit better. And like I said before, I know, I know we're both kind of not necessarily being harsh on this issue, but are so confused and kind of everything is coming together so quickly. But I trust these guys to tell an interesting story and make sense of this stuff later on in the bigger context of this this story. I think it's also key to note that, as they had mentioned, they're they're ending on their terms. They're not rushing toward an ending. They they get the time and space they wanted to to close it out as as they had envisioned. So I think an issue like this where taken on its own, it's a bit of a handful, but Perhaps reading it back to back as part of a collected arc or a trade or even a full 
read of the series, I think it'll fit better in context, if that makes sense. Absolutely. And not having to wait another month for right. the next issue. <laughs> right. You could just turn <laughs> like, the page. Wait, no, what happened in 31? I was confused then. I'm even more confused a month out. I think I'm going to definitely have to reread this issue in preparation for when we talk about 32, because whew, yeah, yeah. I'm going to re-reread re, this one. I think the next few, or the, the, I should say the last few issues will probably warrant a quick flip through the immediately preceding issue before jumping in. Maybe I'll just go back and listen to your recaps again. There you go. <laughs> That's what they're there for. Uh, well, listeners, that is what we thought of this issue, and we'd love to hear from you. Were you as confused as we were, or are we just not getting it? I don't know. Tell us. Feedback at ultimatespinpodcast.com, or drop us a line on Twitter at we're at the ultimate spin, over on Facebook at ultimate spin podcast, and hanging out on Instagram at ultimate underscore spin underscore podcast using the hashtag Spider Gwen, Miles Morales, and Spider Man. And Jack mentioned recaps from previous issues. If you want to go check those out, find us over on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. Just search for Ultimate Spin. And I want to give a quick thanks to our friend Chris Wakefield for leaving a review for us on iTunes. Thank you very much. Hey, I know Chris. He's a podcaster. He uh, hosts the Talk Nerdy podcast, so I'd definitely recommend going and checking out. He's a um, long-term friend of mine and, uh, yeah, good dude, good podcaster, knows a lot about comics and talks a lot about nerdy things so go and check him out speaking of things to check out of course uh i know dan hates it when i say this but like our sister show parent show our friends over there (laughs) (laughs) all all new amazing spider talk is in its second season dan and mark are doing fantastic things i think i'm enjoying this more and more as it goes because as I keep saying on this show, I am woefully uneducated in the early days of Spider-Man. And I love the fact that these guys are going through and just hitting on the things that you really wouldn't necessarily know about a lot of a lot of classic moments in Spider-Man history. And I love the dynamic that Mark and Dan have. And of course, Dan has been on the show before. I've shown my appreciation for how grumpy Mr. Gavosden can get at times as well. And yeah, they're doing fantastic work. And they've also set up a Slack. For those who don't know, that's kind of a almost an old school web chat app that you can gather together and you can go into different groups. So there's separate groups for talking about specifically about comics, specifically about movies, talking about these podcasts and chatting about the latest episodes from, from us and from those guys and everyone in the amazing Spider Talk banner. And yeah, it's really, really cool. Highly recommend you guys joining that. I know Brian and I are both in there chatting about spider stuff pretty regularly. So uh, come and chat to us, talk to Dan, Mark, and everybody else, and and join the community of talking about all the awesome spider stuff that's going on in comics, movies, podcasts, all that kind of stuff. Yes, part of that banner that Jack mentioned includes a new podcast called The Untold Talks of Spider-Man, where they're talking about Hidden Gems, Lost Treasures, uh, recently did a show on Marvel Knights Spider-Man, and they're getting ready to talk about the Mark Wade graphic novel Family Business, which is one of my favorites. Oh, yes. I love me some Mark Wade. I'm excited for that. If you want to follow along with reviews of the individual issues of Amazing Spider-Man, which is gearing up for its own dramatic conclusion, uh, those guys have a Patreon set up over there where you can, uh, it's one of the perks, you can pick up bonus episodes of their podcast where they do cover the individual issues. So you can check that out as well. That's it for us for now, but coming up, oh my goodness, Spider-Man number 240.
Don't miss the chance to see comic superstar Brian Michael Bendis bid farewell to one of his most beloved creations and to glimpse what the future may hold for Miles Morales. What an utterly vague solicit that is. Yeah. And we're going to find that out very soon. (laughs) Very soon. And of course, coming up in the next issue of Spider-Gwen, that's number 32, The Secret is Out. Spider-Gwen is Gwen Stacy. Sorry, Spider-Gwen. Of course, Spider-Gwen is Gwen Stacy. I'm an idiot. (laughs) (laughs) Jack is Jack. (laughs) I'm so used to saying Spider-Gwen, it just comes out naturally. Of course it does. My my phone auto-completes Spider-Man to Spider-Gwen now, for the record. Um... Spider-Woman is Gwen Stacy. Will going public fix the timeline? And more importantly, will it get Gwen out from under the Kingpin's thumb? Or will this go as well as the last time a Spider-Person revealed his secret identity? And at the end of the day, we are all fans. And even if we don't love every issue, our thanks, as always, go to the creators for their hard work in making these characters and their books happen. We appreciate you guys. Thanks to you as well for spending part of your day hanging out with us to read and talk about it all. Take care, be well, and we'll catch you soon on The Ultimate Spin. Oh.